Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the previous program, I commented on this little matter in the great nation of India. You know, like the great state of California, the great state of Texas, the great state of Delaware and Rhode Island and what have you, in our presidential conventions here in the United States of America, everything is referred to as great. Whether it is large, whether it is small, whether it is corrupt, perverse, grossly unjust, it is great. And so is the use of the word debased here in the United States of America, throughout the West, and around the world. But India is a huge nation with great variety and also great riches, resources. But the greatest of those resources, one might posit, is the people. We're talking about the nation that has the second largest population in the world. But when I talk about, when I mention that you may view the greatest resource, natural resource, in India as being the people, I'm not just referring to, I'm not just focusing on those that are the most brilliant, those that are the most talented, those that are the most gifted, those that are the most highly educated, and they can be very different things. Most highly educated are not necessarily the most brilliant by any means. But again, I'm not limiting it, restricting it to those. The lowliest in India's horrendous, shameful, disgraceful, enslaving, destroying caste system, courtesy of their wonderful false religion, Hinduism. The lowliest outcast, widow, widowed in her teens, who is blamed for the death of her husband. Because that's the way it is in India. If a woman's husband dies and she is not of an appropriately high caste, she is blamed for the death of her husband. Regardless how he died. Amazing, but true, and horrendous. But the lowliest of people, outcasts, beggars, without education, without resources of their own, without any safety net, courtesy of the Indian government, 
may be the most valuable person in India. If we look upon things as we do in the West, as we do in case of point in the United States of America, whenever discussion turns to immigration law, we have these people put forward these ideas that the answer, one of the answers to the immigration dilemma in the United States of America and in other Western nations is to limit immigration to those who bring value to the United States of America or other nations. Value in the form of higher education, skills, talents. But is that really... An answer or a part of an answer? Is it really? It depends what you look to as your base, your foundation for making decisions. If you're looking at things strictly in worldly, carnal, fleshly, worldly wise terms, perhaps. Perhaps. It's completely contra-biblical. By the way, you know, just happens to be totally diametrically contra-biblical. For instance, God's chosen people, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, Jacob, when God Almighty delivered them from bondage, from servitude, from slavery in Egypt, and led them to the promised land from whence they had come. He commanded them to receive strangers, people that did not worship him, people that did not have any heritage in kind. Very strange if you stop and think about it because God Almighty dispossessed the pagan heathen peoples who populated those lands, the promised land, because of their wickedness, because of their evil influence they would assert upon his people through seduction and corruption, perversion, causing them to worship false gods, demons, and to do all manner of abomination. And yet, then God commanded his chosen people to receive strangers. But there was a caveat, there was a proviso, and it was this. Not that those strangers needed to bring talents. They needed to bring something to the table, as the (laughs) verbiage goes here in the enlightened West, courtesy of places, enlightened places like Harvard Business School and so forth. No. Their reception into God's country, if you will, was not contingent 
upon their talents, their skills, their resume. (laughs) No. Not on the basis of their education. Not on the basis of their riches that they brought with them. But instead it was dependent on this. That even though heretofore they had not worshipped the God, the true God, the God of the Hebrews. That from henceforth they would have to obey his laws. They would not be free to change God's laws to those of the nations from whence they came. They would be required, as his people were required, to obey him, to follow his lead, his laws, submit to him. And if they committed capital transgressions, they would be executed swiftly. They were free to come in. But if they wanted to engage in rape, murder, and mayhem, they would be seized and executed. The same as God's people would be. Of course, we have, you know, enlightened ideas here in the West and in the United States of America, but certainly throughout the West. In fact, as bad, as corrupt, as perverse as the situation is in the United States of America, it is still a couple steps behind Great Britain, Canada, Australia, and the continent. Truly. But we are closing that gap. (laughs) Yes. So the United States of America is becoming increasingly as leftist, as extremely leftist and corrupt and perverse as the rest of the West. As I've mentioned before, the problem that that poses for the rest of the West is that whether the people throughout the continent and Great Britain and Ireland and the British Commonwealth, whether they acknowledge or not, whether they remain in denial, prideful denial or not, the fact remains that the reason that the Western nations were not enslaved under the Soviet Union and destroyed, effectively, has been because of the United States of America. But the lower that the United States of America descends the nearer 
the destruction of all of the West comes. You may find brilliant, exceedingly successful people, many of whom are not brilliant or anything close, but may in fact be exceedingly unworthy people, non-valuable people, unrighteous, ungodly, profane, wicked, perverse people. Oh, but as long as they, you know, bring value to the table, they are welcome. Just like back in the day, when the corrupt, perverse, wicked United States regime during World War II and immediately thereafter, subsequent to World War II's end, saw fit to spirit away from Nazi Germany and Europe and China, Japan, monstrous evil individuals who had committed grievous destruction of helpless innocent people because they were viewed as valuable. They brought value to the table. There were others that were spirited away because of their expertise in science. Some of those were absolute sadists, torturers, tormentors. But their skills (laughs) that they had acquired by destroying multitudes were viewed as valuable by the OSS, the forerunner of the CIA, and then by the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, and so forth. Others, of course, were brought to the United States of America again before the end, the close of World War II, or right at the close of World War II, or right after the close of World War II. Men like Werner von Braun, who had not committed any crimes against humanity except in enabling Adolf Hitler's Nazi Third Reich fascist regime to have the use of, to employ weaponry they would not otherwise have had. along the lines of the the flying bomb, (laughs) that sort of thing. But Operation Paperclip, one of many very damnable, exceedingly dark hours in the history of the United States of America, 
But again, monstrous destroyers brought not only from the Nazi fascist regime, but the Japanese imperialist fascist regime. Ones who had committed unspeakable evils. Again, against innocent, helpless people. Monstrous tortures directly akin to Dr. Josef Mengele of the Nazi Third Reich. But all in a good cause, and after all, it was justified because the Soviet Union, which at that point in time was Russia, principally, except, of course, it expanded its borders greatly with the closing of World War II. It became the victor. It shoved and pushed Britain around. And Winston Churchill, of course, was deposed, (laughs) courtesy of popular vote that five weeks after the end of the war chose to put the socialists in power in Britain, but and a new prime minister. But the United States of America capitulated to the communist regime. First Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was weakened and dying, but had always been leftist (laughs) and morally short of godly, shall we say. And then his successor, Harry S. Truman, who supposedly, you know, was so courageous, but was very selective. And sided with the Islamists versus tiny Israel. If Harry had had his way, Israel would have been wiped off the map right at its inception. The modern state of Israel. But his way and those of his top people, his men, George Marshall for instance. But, again, it was justified to bring these monsters into the United States of America and to bring other non-monsters, but who still should not have been given VIP treatment and had the red carpet rolled out for them. It was justified because Russia, the communist regime, was doing exactly the same thing. And therefore, it was legitimate for us to copy them, imitate them, do what they were doing, rather than permit all of this talent to go to Russia. But again... 
This comes down to how do you value people? I understand with regard to the matter of Werner von Braun and other scientists who (laughs) were instrumental in defense programs here in the United States of America. And the space race. I understand perceiving value there. But the idea that the nation puts a value, a price, an estimation upon individual people based on their education, the advantages they've had in life, their status in life, their intellect, their accomplishments, their net worth, with regard to whether they should be permitted to immigrate or be fast-tracked for immigration, (laughs) that's wrong. There are other (laughs) things that have been done with regard to immigration that are wrong, loathsomely wrong. Thinking back of the Clinton-Clinton-Gore administration, that's right. The Bill Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Albert Arnold Gore Jr. administration in which immigration for those people not viewed as being intellectual or wealthy or talented or anything else, but viewed as being virtually certain Democrat voters were fast-tracked into the U.S. in masses and multitudes in order to give political power, additional political power to the Democrat Party. Oh, brother, that never happened. Oh, yes, it did. Right up to the very end of their regime, of the regime change. But... No, contrary to how carnal, fleshly, worldly, wise people in the West, including very definitely in the United States of America, but also in other great nations like India, how they view worth of people is so contrary to godliness, righteousness, truth. But in India, I commented before about this family of laws, if you will. The anti-conversion laws that are cropping up across the breadth and depth of India which are being used to oppress Christians and stem the tide of the growth of Christianity 
focused on, targeted on new believers. People being one to Christ and thus to eternal salvation, eternal life in the kingdom of God, that they are being oppressed by the regimes in the various states of India, throughout India. with laws that state that if any person changes their faith from the dark, false religions of Hinduism, notably, particularly. You know, one of the favorite religions in Hollywood, you know, of the enlightened VIPs, but if they change their faith from what they were born into, into the enslavement, the bondage of Hinduism, to the light and truth of Christianity, that they must inform the government. And the government will decide whether they will permit them to convert to Christianity. Such enlightened policy. But this is all part of the grander scheme to transform India, taking it back thousands of years to exclusively Hindu. It's the opposite of a leap forward. (laughs) It is a massive reactionary slide backwards into the abyss. Before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs, is thanks only to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, unworthy, that is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. Back to that wonderful part of the world, Asia. Asia, that covers a lot of ground, a lot of territory. Like when you look at Eurasia, massive, massive landmass, isn't it? Massive continent, which is actually described by names that imply that it's more than one continent because it's so enormous, and yet it really is one continent, isn't it? But the Islamist regime of Pakistan, a place that is so averse to Christianity, 
one young man, in my view, young, he looks young, or he did look young before he was tortured by the Pakistani police. He's actually 47 years of age. But prior to his arrest, towards the end of 2017, he looked young, youthful. Now we are three and a half years later. He is still being held and was due to be tried for blasphemy against Islam. Charges that were trumped up, contrived via conspiracy. And he was tortured for days by the police to confess. Something you find with every wicked regime on the face of the earth. Standard operating procedure in communist China to this day. I'll have more to say about this man, Nadim Samson, this Christian man in Pakistan, in my next program. But something I've mentioned before is that those people who are described as being conservative politically, they invariably, whether they happen to be voters, mere voters, citizens, you know, regular Joes and Janes, or whether they happen to be legislators, politicians, political activists, lobbyists, what have you, There's always this rush to celebrate when something occurs that is viewed as being a a great development for conservatives, so-called. This happened back, oh goodness, it's happened time and time and time again. But, you know, when there was that uh, revolution in Congress, <laughs> going back to 94, in reaction to, of course, Clinton, Clinton, Rodham, and Gore. Yes, I did say Clinton, Rodham instead of Rodham, Clinton, because Clinton... She is always described as being Hillary Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Hillary Clinton. But in point of fact, you could uh, say that she is Rodham because that marriage of convenience, of political convenience, uh, that great teamwork of the two, (laughs) the gruesome twosome of Bill and Hill. But going back to 94, Oh, there was this going to be this great sea change with conservatives winning Congress, winning the House of Representatives and so forth. Yes, going to be such a great change. Was it? No. (laughs) But there was great celebration. 
And then with the election of W, George W. Bush. Oh, boy, things were really going to get straightened out then. And then, of course, with the election of Donald Trump. Oh, boy, this is just going to be fantastic. Amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. People's uh, tendency to believe what they want to believe, irrespective of the evidence, irrespective of truth, just wishful thinking, just to buy into that and embrace that to the nth degree. But right now, just so recently, namely... It was the very end of April, just last month, which means we were in April a week ago. So, (laughs) very recently, the august United States Supreme Court graced us by announcing that they had finally agreed to hear a case concerning the right to bear arms, the constitutional right to bear arms. That's right. Ten years prior, they made a landmark decision concerning the right to keep arms. That is the right, the constitutional right to keep arms. But the constitutional right is to keep and bear arms. Ten years later, or more, finally, they're going to hear a case concerning that portion of the right. (laughs) The right to keep and bear arms, now the right to bear arms, the constitutional right. So they're going to hear a case. They're going to condescend to hear this case. They refused. Back in June, they refused to consider 10 cases concerning this. But now, now they condescend to hear one case. But even in so doing, they are restricting, they are limiting the question that will be decided. Limiting the issue to whether the individual states have the right to deny citizens' applications to carry a firearm beyond the border of their home for self-defense and defense of others. Whether they have that right, whether the ways that the states are thwarting that right are constitutional. Now, certainly, I am sure, I am certain that a great many who would be described as being conservatives 
are celebrating and rejoicing about this. But hold on, people. Take a breath. (laughs) Think it over. Because I have bad news for you. If you're willing to hear it. (laughs) And that is this. That even if a majority of the justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, even if a majority decision is rendered invalidating this abuse of the constitutional right to bear arms in the form of invalidating the use of so-called good cause or proper cause or good reason requirements in the application process for concealed carry permits. Even if the United States Supreme Court invalidates and prohibits the use of these measures that go by all, any one of those names. Good reason, good cause, proper cause. They all amount to the same thing. In each case, you or I are required to give reason why we should be the exception to the rule, why we should be permitted to bear arms while our fellow citizens are forbidden to, while our fellow citizens are prohibited from bearing arms, why we should be classified as such VIPs that we should be permitted to exercise our constitutional right to bear arms. That's what these good reason, good cause, proper cause requirements are focused on. But I've got news for you that even if best case scenario The United States Supreme Court, the vaunted highest court in the land, even if they throw out, they prohibit the use of good cause, good reason, proper cause requirements in order to gain, to be granted the privilege of bearing arms via a concealed carry permit, even if they do that, guess what's going to happen? And I do not say this on the basis of speculation. I say this on the basis of what has already happened, what has already transpired during the past several years. Guess what's going to happen? Let's take one state As a case point here, California, the golden state, my home state, that enlightened land that has been so destroyed 
by wicked people, not just by rapists, murderers, kidnapper, destroyers of darling, helpless children, typically girls and young women and women. Massive bloodletting, but the destruction by legislators and judges of that outstandingly richly blessed portion of the United States of America. How do its concealed carry permit applications work? Well, guess what? There are three requirements. First is citizenship, which has probably been changed by now, right? It probably is no longer a pass-fail test. Several years ago, it was. If you were not a citizen, you did not qualify. A reasonable restriction. But, because after all, the Constitution is for citizens of the United States of America. A minor detail. That was one requirement. That was the first requirement. The second requirement, I believe, was the good cause statement. And the third, good character. However, good character may have been in the number two spot and good cause in the third. But so what happened that causes me to believe that nothing will change, even with best-case scenario decision from the U.S. Supreme Court in early 2022, after hearing the case in the fall of this year, the autumn of 2021. What happened? Well, there was a decision, there was a case and a decision down in San Diego. And the judge, the court, ruled that there was no violation of the constitutional right to bear arms resulting from the sheriff's department in San Diego using this good cause requirement to deny concealed carry permits to people that that did not constitute an abridgment of the absolute constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And lo and behold, that case was appealed. That decision was appealed to the illustrious August Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. And a three-judge body heard the case and ruled on it and two of the three judges ruled to reverse the lower ruling and to invalidate the use of the good cause requirement they ruled that it was discriminatory And that it constituted an unconstitutional abridgment 
of the absolute constitutional right to bear arms. So what happened? Well, all of the sheriff's departments in the major metropolitan areas of California and in the major metropolitan adjacent (laughs) counties in California that were also leftist-leaning heavily, what did they do? What did they do when the people who had been denied concealed carry licenses reapplied? What did they do? They selectively denied them depending on how much they disliked these people based on their background, whether they were Devout Christians, for instance, white men, of course, unless they were, you know, sodomites or something like that. They denied them on the basis of branding them as having bad character. That's right. So they were prohibited from using one of their three denials for these people. They could not resort to the citizenship denial because they were citizens. There was only one left, bad character. How difficult is it to deny an application on the basis of character? Simple. The sheriff or sheriff's executive assistant or sheriff's secretary or anybody else he chooses to delegate the task to, they check off a radial button on the application. Case closed cannot be appealed, and it is sent to the Attorney General of California, which several years ago, of course, was none other than Kamala Harris. And that person would forever be branded as having bad character. So if they had ever prayed, picketed, sidewalk counseled outside of an abortion mill, They would forever be branded as being of bad character. I know, because I was. But the point is, it was a very simple segue for California. And it will be a very simple segue for every other state in the nation that chooses to do so. Nothing will change on the basis of ruling against the so-called good cause, good reason, proper cause requirement for a concealed carry permit. Nothing will change for the better, regrettably. What is going to be required to actually bring about a sea change is not a matter of a national or federal concealed carry permit, which exists for people that have been law enforcement officers for 10 or more years and so forth. But not that, even though they could go to that, but that is not necessary. What is necessary is to see to it that all states become must issue 
states. Not may issue, not can issue, but must issue. As long as the people applying for concealed carry permits are citizens and are not felons. But, of course, back to Hillary Rodham Clinton, stormtrooper in charge of the war room at the White House for eight years. Not to mention what she did down in Arkansas and what she did after leaving the White House in her perennial bid for presidency. But namely, demonizing all devout Christians, slandering them, and all people who oppose induced abortion, and making them felons, and thereby unable to obtain a concealed carry permit. So, even even if the U.S. Supreme Court rules correctly that this good cause, good reason, proper cause requirement is unconstitutional, an unconstitutional abridgment of the absolute right to keep and bear arms, and even if, They ruled in a future case that no state can continue with their May issue concealed carry permit process, but must issue concealed carry permits unless the applicant is not a U.S. citizen and not a felon. Even if they did all of that. You know, that would take another 10 years for sure or more. But even if they did that, guess what? There still would be multitudes of people denied concealed carry permits on the basis of having been demonized, prosecuted by the wonderful Department of Justice and made felons for life. Charming, but true. Oh no, that's just your crazy idea. No, it is true. Yes. But that's the way it is in the United States of America. We have, of course, slid lower and lower and lower into leftism, into socialism. Now, I have been sharing a few scriptures, and I've been sharing them from the book of Jeremiah and the Old Testament of the Bible, and I've been going straight through. (laughs) So now, the portion that is considered to be chapter 6, a few lines. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Jerusalem, she is the city to be visited. She is holy oppression in the midst of her. As a fountain casteth out her waters, so she casteth out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is heard in her. 
From the prophet unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will bring evil upon this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people cometh from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. I'll touch on that more in the next program. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.